Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we are once again 100% COVID free. I don't want to say that too loudly because I feel like the virus can hear me and is like, (laughs) is is going to be like, oh, really? Well, we've got Um, a good month before I am really like susceptible again and you've got like two months so yeah I, I I'm like okay I'm kind of in the sweet spot I just began testing negative so I was like okay this is good this is good yeah. I can I can I can relax for a few minutes um exactly <laughs> I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks and with me as always is Karen Peterson hello Karen hello and how are um, you feeling today I am feeling I, much better <laughs> I'm so glad I feel fine um I am very tired it's been a long week but <laughs> But otherwise, I'm good. Good. We do always start with the weather report. So how is the weather there? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. After like six straight weeks of 100 degrees, which I've heard rumors is ticking back up toward that again next week, which is just rude. Um, Today it's 68. It's partly sunny right now. We'll see what happens. But perfect. How's the weather in your neck of the woods love it's lovely it's lovely yeah. we've actually had really good weather it's been we're we're not quite in fall mode yet but definitely moving gradually in that direction i guess that uh, it's it's much colder upstate now but um but yeah it's like in the 70s and it's getting down into the 50s at night it's really nice i can sleep under my new comforter so i'm very excited Yay. <laughs> i still had the ac cranked last night because it's just still not like, even though it's cooling off in the evenings, there's no air flowing. So opening mm-hmm. the windows doesn't really help. You know, it's kind of a bummer. So that is the weather report from the two coasts. We know that all of you are really, really concerned about that. Um, <laughs> my dog has been sleeping very well, by the way, just so that everybody knows. And Good. I'm going to get a haircut today, So I'm, which I'm very excited about. So that is the report. <laughs> Any, has your dog stolen anything this today? Not today. <laughs> Not today. He did get he did get a hunk of cheese yesterday. Very expensive cheese. Oh no. And and I was like, you know what? I mean, it's on it is on me. I like if he does not steal food <laughs> unless it is left unattended at nose height. Yeah. At which point, and sometimes he can be trusted and sometimes he can't. And I left cheese unattended at nose height. And so really it's on me. Um and of course it was gone by the time I realized what had happened. So I was just like, I can't even discipline you because it's over. Like I can't, I can't catch you in the act. Like you don't even know what you did at this point. Yeah. So, although sometimes I think like, you know, the, he knows he's like, ah, I did something that I shouldn't have done, but I got away with it. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways. Yes. No, he's being a good boy today. Hopefully he'll, he'll keep quiet. Um, so for today, we, we've got a couple of things that we wanted to talk about, but, uh, for whatever reason, this has been particularly on my mind recently, and it's definitely been in kind of the, the Hollywood, Hollywood media and people talking about this a lot. And in some ways, I feel like this, this particular topic is on the one hand, very, you know, are we still doing this? Are we still having this conversation? How can, you know, anyone still be, be talking like this? But it's still there. And I think that we do need to talk about it in, in a, a really more serious way. So as most people know, uh, the Little Mermaid trailer was I totally released... thought you were going to the Shawshank Redemption conversation. <laughs> okay, well, let's start with the Shawshank Redemption then. Let's start with that because I still don't understand. People have given me people have given me a lot of reasons why uh, why particularly white men. I don't think it's exclusively white men, but it's particularly white men have this thing about the Shawshank Redemption. I have seen it at the top of so many goddamn lists. 
mm-hmm. as like what is the what are the you know top 10 best movies ever made and the Shawshank Redemption is like up there and I'm like why why like I and again I'm not saying this is this is a bad movie it's not a problematic film particularly it's it's a perfectly decent workable enjoyable movie but it is not even close to being in a top 10 of anything like top 10 favorite white man movies I don't know like it's <laughs> it's just baffling to me and I did I did tweet this out uh yesterday and I did actually get a number of very good responses that were kind of like talking about the fact that it was shown a lot on channels like um TNT and and it's still seriously yeah so that maybe that's it that this is just like crept into but it's particularly white men it's that that's the thing like I watch TNT and I'm not like oh it's the Shawshank Redemption I have to watch this Mm -hmm. um it's like so that it's it's sort of crept into the the mentality I guess or or something like that Karen you did have some thoughts. Did you want to share them? You didn't want to share them on Twitter. Would you like to share them here? Would you prefer to just be, just not engage with this? Um, no, I don't have a problem talking about it. In fact, this was backed up by uh, by Connor's comment to you too, um, where, you know, because I think about this too. I think The Shawshank Redemption is a very good movie. I've, I've also seen it a million times, but like you say, it's not on, it's not on any of my top 10 lists. When I think of my, like the best movies I've ever seen, Shawshank Redemption doesn't doesn't land on that list. Um, and I think this is one of the one of the ways the evidence is that art is subjective and everyone looks at it differently. And um, I, but I think that one of the main things when I look at what the film is and the people who just are so um, enamored of it, obsessed with it, is I feel like really what it comes down to is they see themselves in that movie. Obviously, you know, for quite a lot of them, they haven't literally been in prison, certainly not in the 1930s. But uh, I think that they see themselves in the characters, particularly Andy, who, as you described him, he's an everyman. And I think that he's so um, unspecifically uh, written that so many men can see themselves as Andy, this guy who um, ends up being wrongfully convicted. He's totally innocent and railroaded, ends up in this horrifying situation, um, being stuck in prison with a life sentence. And, um, and it's all because, and I don't think that all of them necessarily think through it this far, but all because of a woman who wronged them and, um, or wronged him. And I, I just, I think that a lot of men identify themselves in their lives and they feel trapped in their lives and they feel like so much happens to them, whether it's accurate or not. I think that they just see themselves in that character so much that it just, the movie itself takes on just such a completely different meaning for them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think that's why men have become so obsessed with it. I think because it just is one that they can relate to so hard. And there's, there really is something about that, that really, you know, for me, one of my favorite movies is Bridesmaids because there have been parts of my life where I feel like, oh my gosh, I am living the exact same experience Kristen Wiig is where it's like, everything's <laughs> against me. Everyone else is happy and I'm, mis- you know what I mean? So it's like, I think that that's a big part of it. I don't think that mm-hmm. it's necessarily that they're like looking at the, the film as a piece of art, but themselves in be, embedded in this piece of art. You mean that you mean that seeing yourself on screen at some level is like really helpful for you to understand your own circumstances and to oh. to experience the the world and you can identify with characters, positive characters in particular. So are you saying like representation matters? I, I was about to ask you, you say that representation <laughs> matters, Karen. Is that what you're saying here? I think it might. Maybe. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my god! Now, I I mean I I I have this sense of of like mocking the Sh- the Shawshank Redemption partially because I and I said this I said this last night it's like the pumpkin spice latte for white dudes like yeah. it's and and I mean that I don't necess- I don't really mean that in a negative sense I happen to like pumpkin spice lattes but it's that kind of thing where it's like it's good it's enjoyable we shouldn't make such a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and and that's where the, the the problematic elements come in. But yeah, I mean, and and also uh, I do think that the Shawshank Redemption does have it, it's it is representative of positive male friendships. Yes. Um, like his and I I honestly cannot remember the Martin uh, the Morgan Freeman character. Um, what's his first? What's his name? Red. Rev. Red. 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 Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and like their relationship and their friendship and everything is really is positive. It's a very positive representation, um, which you know men sometimes don't get, particularly in in uh, non sort of machismo action movies. So that's a good thing in a, in a certain sense. I think that there's that as well. There's also a heavy dose of no homo. So it's a male friendship that is never implied to have any sort of sexual component or romantic component to it um so it's yeah there there might be something in that as well but um but yeah so yes representation matters and seeing yourself on screen matters to everybody Mm -hmm. yeah even (laughs) even white dudes uh and so let's talk about representation (laughs) look at that it ended up being a really good segue excellent segue yes i'm glad that i'm glad that you brought it up So, as many people are aware, the trailer for The Little Mermaid was released, the the new live-action Disney version of The Little Mermaid. Um, And one of the things that has fascinated and horrified some people and made a lot of people really happy is the fact that uh, The Little Mermaid, in this case, is Black. And this has resulted, of course, in a lot of grown-ass white men uh, apparently believing that apparently really caring about the little mermaid. It's just like, you don't, you know that you don't, you know that you do not give a shit about the little mermaid. This was not like a fundamental thing in your growing up. But as tends to happen with, uh, with everything now where you, particularly where you've got a, a white character, um, in a beloved franchise or something like that being, uh, cast differently immediately we've got this whole outpouring of of racism right and of very bizarre arguments about biology and science <laughs> and and uh and i do have something to say about that in relation to the little mermaid but i will wait for a minute um but this is you know coming f- close on the tail of uh the, the release of rings of power and the fact that there are quite a number of uh non-white characters in middle earth now and this is something that has, again, provoked a lot of ire, a lot of like bizarre arguments, a lot of uh, arguments about historical accuracy and scientific accuracy. And I thought that it would be interesting and a good idea to maybe like dig into this a little bit more and actually have a conversation about why this argument is happening right now and why it's important to, to actually address not address these arguments, but address these issues, because this is something that is coming up and it's going to keep on coming up. There have been a couple of really good articles uh, released, and I will link them in the show notes, but there's one from The Atlantic and another one um, by Richard Newby about The Lord of the Rings and addressing this this like racist backlash and why there has been so much racist, racist backlash against, particularly against Lord of the Rings. But I think a lot of it also applies to The Little Mermaid, and The Little Mermaid in some ways is a more simplistic view. Um, but so let's, I want to start with this whole historical accuracy, scientific accuracy argument, because this is something we hear in about fantasy in particular a lot. And the first time I remember hearing it was in the depictions of rape in the, in Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the main arguments about, you know, why, why is there so much rape in Game of Thrones? Well, it was a bad time for women. It's just like, what was a bad time for women? The medieval period. And it's like, okay. Um, first, first of all, Game of Thrones takes place in a fantasy world. Um, a fantasy world called Westeros. It has dragons and zombies and magic and like, all kinds of shit that doesn't exist. Uh, so why is there then this historical accuracy argument? And I heard this not just from uh, from like dudes. I heard this from women. A lot of different people like really were just like, well, but this was the way that it was. It's like, 
but it's not, it doesn't exist. It's not real. It's a fantasy world. It is completely open. Like it's a completely open world. You can create anything that you want to. Why rape? Why is this a particular thing? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So <laughs> thankfully, thankfully house of the dragon hasn't really gone there yet. Um, I don't, I don't know if or when that is coming, but with game of Thrones, obviously it was a huge problem. And it's it's interesting because it's like on the one hand this world uh, was created the seven kingdoms and all of that it was created with this idea of like being based in the medieval period not literally taking place there obviously um, but being based in that and so it was kind of using a lot of the political ideas yeah. and and cultural ideas and things like that which makes sense. Um, and it helps for this particular story, it helps kind of center it in something that is familiar for the audience, because even if we, you know, haven't studied a lot of history about the medieval period, we've seen a lot of movies about it and feel like we know what it was like to live back then. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, um, yeah, definitely. But at the at the same time, like, like you say, we haven't necessarily right. studied it. So Game of Thrones is based very loosely on War of the Roses. Yes. And yes, and all of the conflicting families and conflicting battles in there. But it I I'm sorry, I do not believe I'm I actually not defending it. I'm not defending it. I was actually really into Wars of the Roses and I've read a lot of books about it and um, I do not believe that the people who are making these defenses of historical accuracy have actually like sat down and studied medieval history. No, 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 definitely not. And and that's where I say like, I mean, Martin, who wrote the novels, um, he clearly has studied it pretty extensively. But uh, but this is where I think to to your point about like the historical accuracy argument is like, OK, so it's it's definitely, you know inspired from that point in that point in history but but when you start introducing all these fantasy elements and you start you know really developing a political atmosphere and a climate of the time period in this fictional world then there are certain things that are quote unquote true to that time period that don't need to exist and also how accurate is it really you know i mean sure a lot of you know marriage women were you know, when when women got married, they were treated as, you know, property by the government, stuff like that. That's all, you know, fairly well documented. But as far as the brutality against women and things like, why does that have to be part of this world? It doesn't have to be. Um, yeah, it's so much of the time in the case of Game of Thrones, so much of the time it's used um, in one of our least favorite reasons as a way to embolden women and make them stand up and start defending themselves. And that is yeah. just so like, why? Like, yeah. Anyway, to your point about that, what frustrated me in house of the dragon was they start, you know, they're, they're like, we're not going to have depictions of rape, which is great. But then they like in the first episode, they have this really, really brutal scene of a woman who um, is basically sawed in half to um perform a, a c-section because she's delivering a baby and it's stuck and whatever and it's brutal and it's bloody and it's violent of course she dies and um that gets defended and then just like the the political climate of like you know women in positions of like should they be the ones to exceed or to succeed their their fathers to the throne and things like that and it's like you have an opportunity here and especially and obviously the show was written at least this season was written way before um this the supreme court decision earlier this year overturning Roe and all that but i'm just like i'm looking at the way that um certain certain elements of like our political climate are so cyclical and they go in waves and stuff things like women's rights and women's place um things like people of color being really involved in the foundation of, of, you know, not just our country, but other countries too. And I just think like, this was an opportunity. House of Dragon, House of the Dragon is set almost 200 years before Game of Thrones. 
So it's like, this is an opportunity to be like, hey, listen, this was a thriving place where women had all kinds of rights and all kinds of respect. And over the decades and the centuries, that waned. And then it became something where women were treated like shit again. And you have the opportunity to show that decline as part of your decline of civilization. And they didn't take that opportunity. And that's where I get, you know, really frustrated when they talk Mm -hmm. about this whole, like, you know, historical accuracy thing. It's like, you don't, first of all, it's not really true when you're using it in a historic in a fantasy setting second of all there's an opportunity to show something that's not part of history that's another view of like how things could have been or should have been and then what changed to make it look more like the world that we live in well and and to to that point it's so much of this is about how we perceive history what how do we perceive the past So we have this idea, we have this very basic idea about the past as being very white, you know, and and we're talking about Europe, right? But we have, we have this idea about the past as being very white, very patriarchal, um, to, to the point of a lot of violence against women, a lot of, um, a lot of making women suffer, et cetera. And, and so that is our perception of the past and these kinds of things reinforce it. And you do kind of go like, well, but there there was a lot of different ways of existing in the past that we haven't really explored that isn't necessarily i mean you know at at the end of the day a lot of history and a lot of discussion of history a lot of what we know of those of that past has been written by men particularly by religious men right especially in the medieval period um by men and by like what little knowledge we have of the progression of kings and things like that so we have some information about it but we don't have the entire picture um, we're we're relying very much on uh, on perceptions and by the way that the past itself wanted to be perceived and who was writing the stories, who was writing the history, who was talking about what. Um, and and so one of the arguments that I've seen in, in terms of what you're addressing in um uh, in the the C-section scene is that well we need to show how bad it was for women and of course we hear this argument a lot well the world is really nasty to women the world is really tough on women no it sucks it is it sucks to be a woman well and that's that's the thing and me as a woman and i've talked about this before uh i get tired of watching women being traumatized and women being hurt and women being murdered or or damaged in some way whether or not that's presented as a pot usually it's not presented as a positive thing right but it still feels like you are using suffering, female suffering, specifically mm-hmm. female suffering as entertainment, as, a, and, you know, as, as we've talked about, as a way of driving the plot forward, as a way of, you know, we've talked about um, some rape revenge stories where it's either the woman taking revenge for her violation or even more problematically, a man who loves her, a man who cares about her taking revenge for her violation. So it becomes about him. Yeah. Right. Yeah, her, and her violation becomes his story. Yeah, and and while I, you know, I, I think that it's it's easy to then slide back in the other direction and say like we can never depict violence against women. I'm not saying that at all. Um, that can be depicted and should be depicted in particular ways, but the sheer amount that writers and particularly male writers and directors and creators rely on it as a plot device or as well the world is tough on women let me show you how bad it is um it it does come back to to the thing that we've talked about before where men in particular really want to imagine that women's lives revolve and have always revolved entirely around them and around who around who men are and what men do and not only is that inaccurate, but it it is also once again it's trying to to pretend that something is feminist by again centralizing men by saying like well women are scared of men women don't like men here's why women are so scared of men and at a certain point I'm just like you know I don't live my entire life in fear and I don't think most women do yeah. so there has to be there has to be a balance and when you begin then introducing the historical accuracy arguments. Um, it becomes even more problematic because like you say, you have here, they, they have this opportunity to actually look at the way the fantasy world itself changes, mm-hmm. right? So ignore history. How does the fantasy world change? How is, what was the fantasy world like in 200 years ago or 500 years ago or a thousand years ago? Because 
I guarantee it is very different to live in the year 10, you know, 1000 as it is to live in the year 2000. So yeah. why are we not seeing that reflected in, um, uh, in, in fantasy development? Exactly. Yeah. And, and to just look at, you know, on the broader scope, I think one of the things that probably when you have uh, certain people like, D.B. Weiss and uh, or what's his name? The guys that did Game of Thrones. Um, when they're the ones that are creating things, they have this very specific view, a very limited view of of the world and and what things should look like and how things should quote unquote you know be in order to be accurate. And then when you have a show like Rings of Power or The Little Mermaid, and then they start casting to and it's not about like, oh, well, this is this is to be more reflective of reality, because, again, super, histor- you know, super fantasy, super not the real world. Um, then they start getting the people that make those decisions start getting accused of wokeness and trying to inject, you know, modern politics into these worlds. And so it's just I think that it's it comes down to who is telling these stories, who are they telling them for and with a show like rings of power we have an opportunity and the people running that show have taken the opportunity to be like listen this world is forever it's one of the things that got ryan johnson you know so so much hate after last jedi is you know it's this idea that like this world is for everybody and it includes a whole lot more people than you ever imagined because of your tiny little pea brain that can't imagine anything that doesn't look or reflect the world that you know and understand. And, um, and so you start getting casting that is more reflective of our current world and that builds this fantasy world that is much more exciting, much more interesting. And then you've got this like very, very tiny subset that is also extremely loud that just can't handle that because it doesn't reflect what they think this should look like yeah well and and so yeah let's let's talk about more about rings of power specifically because you know what what we're talking about when it comes to to house of the dragon although you know game of thrones has its own race issues uh yes (laughs) um but when it comes to to rings of power yeah you're, you're right the the objection to it seems to be that they've started out um with quite an an array of of different skin colors being represented and you almost don't want to say different races because this is middle earth right races mean something different um and and one of one of the arguments again has been well this isn't what tolkien intended and first of all that's that's inaccurate actually if you read a lot of the descriptions within um within the original work like hobbits are supposed to be darker skinned right that and the is Harfoots are specifically even darker than the hobbits. Yeah. So so that that like makes sense but there there's then, you know, turned into and one of one of the arguments that I've seen is actually an argument about um about fictional worlds and and myth making, right? And it's interesting because uh this argument tends to conflate Tolkien, right, who was writing in uh you know, the like the 1930s and the 1940s um and the 1950s he's an oxford he's no he's a white oxford don right but he created this mythos that a lot of people treat almost like as a foundational um a foundational myth right similar to you know norse mythology or something like that and it's very odd because it's actually taking this this fantasy world that was very recently created right and turning it into like well these are like our foundational ideologies as like but it's 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 some it's something that some dude like made up originally as a kid's story for his children like that was the whole like inception of middle earth (laughs) yeah yeah well and and so there's a couple of things too about this whole like that's not this isn't what he would have wanted first of all uh he's dead and once you this is the thing this uh, I I hesitate to bring this up, but this is the thing about people like uh, J.K. Rowling. You know, she wrote, she created the Harry Potter universe, 
She put it out into the world. She keeps, like, well, she hasn't done it in a while. But for so long after the final book was published, she would just drop these little weird nuggets of, like, oh, here's a little thing about that. It's like, you know what? No, this isn't your world anymore. You gave it to us. It's now ours. And that's the same thing with Lord of the Rings. Like, once he put it out there, sure, he can control, you know, publishing before he died obviously uh he could control publishing more works and more appendices and backstory and and expanding that world and stuff but once it's all out there then what the author intended when you're coming to an adaptation really is beside the point because people get to take on that art and experience that art and make a lot of of decisions and 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 just consume that art in the way that they want to. It's like what we were talking about with the Shawshank Redemption and other things, you know, it's like art is subjective and how I read a book and how you read a book might be two different things. It doesn't make either of us wrong. And both of our adaptations could be completely different and they could be completely different from what the author quote unquote intended, but that's okay. And it's all valid. And so this argument that like, well, that's not what Tolkien intended. It doesn't actually matter. I don't care what Tolkien intended. What I care about is that they're making a show 90 years after this was published in a world that looks completely different. And that is also valid. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and, you know, and I remember when um, the, the, the Lord of the Rings, the films came out. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was, and I, I remember it didn't bother me initially, but after like about two films, I suddenly like, there's no black people. There's yeah. no, there's no one, there's no one who isn't white, right? There isn't any like difference in skin color at all, except that the elves are a lot paler than everybody else. That's about it. Right. Um, and, and so, and I remember this being a conversation and this conversation developing because then there was the introduction of the men from the East um, as the villains, as the villains who were fooled by Sauron, right? And they were all Middle Eastern. All of them looked had darker skin basically um and so and so then you're suddenly like okay so now we're really getting into the the development of and the use of um Tolkien's world as west not necessarily not necessarily white supremacy but western supremacy mm-hmm. and how you know this is kind of mirroring into our world and that was a choice that Peter Jackson made right it's not necessarily a choice that Tolkien made Although again, this whole kind of medieval fantasy trope of the the East being the dangerous place, um, where darkness comes from, where mysticism comes from, where all of these ugly things come from, um, and the West as being you know the men of the West kind of thing, that is something that Tolkien created, um, and that is something that Tolkien used in in his work. So we have to we do have to deal with that, and I think that is something that um, this particular the that rings of power isn't really addressing in the same way they there hasn't been men of the west rhetoric in the same way which i find kind of interesting but i kind of wonder at what point that is going to creep in because that is part of tolkien's world building um so i'm not sorry i wasn't certain where i was going with that uh, <laughs> okay but yeah so so recasting in a lot of ways especially since jackson's films are kind of our our major visual foundation for what Lord of the Rings is and what Middle Earth is. Recasting that in a certain sense of saying and being broader and saying like there there are people of different colors and different races, et cetera, in this world um, has definitely, I think, punctured some of that sort of men of the West world building and made people, you know, and, and down to arguments where people have been saying things like, you know, there were no black people in the west and it's like are we sure about that <laughs> take a look and who was here <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean who is here and also several people pointed out that hey by the way africa is actually in the west technically mm-hmm. so and i mean that's an entire continent full of black people yeah if you look and, at a globe <laughs> and people of different colors you know and well and then you you look at the Americas, right? And the the native peoples of the Americas. So even if you leave Europe aside, which you really shouldn't because there have been black people and people of color everywhere. Yeah. Um, even if you leave that aside, that argument again doesn't hold water, but it's again pulling back into that historical accuracy argument 
in addressing a fantasy world and in addressing what has been treated as the sort of white mythology, um, this this foundational myth, even though we know that it is completely fantasy. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, just to the point of like, um, this world has a lot more skin tones than the Peter Jackson films. So I feel like based on what I know of this series, they're basically not trying to to redo that entire world. They're not trying to pretend that the Peter Jackson films don't exist. And, um, and so why that matters, I think this is a perfect example of what I was just talking about with House of the Dragon, where it's like, we're set way before the events of what we're already familiar with showing this is what the world could look like. So even though I'm sure they haven't thought this detail through, but you could look at that as like, okay, so Rings of Power is set thousands of years before the Lord of the Rings. Look at just how much different the world looked then as it does, you know, quote unquote now with the show that we're already, or the films that yeah. we're already familiar with. So it's just a, a, even though I'm sure that wasn't really part of their reasoning or process um, and they just wanted to, cast this is part of the thing they wanted to cast the best actors for the roles i'm sure some <laughs> of these roles honestly they weren't even like i want a black person to play this part it was just like this is the right guy for the role same with hallie bailey she auditioned for, when she played the little mermaid she auditioned with like lots of people it was big open casting and she was the best person for the role so they cast her it's not necessarily that they're trying to be like quote unquote woke you know that's not always what they're going for and uh Anyway, so that's part of it. But also what they've done by expanding this world and by bringing lots of different actors of lots of different backgrounds into these characters is they are showing just the way that, like, look, this was a much different, much broader, more expansive um, world than mm -hmm. what we end up seeing in Lord of the Rings. Well, and that's that's where so many of those arguments fall apart is that we hear the argument all the time. Well, I I just want the best the best actor to be in the role. Right. Right. And so whenever like white people get cast as, you know, Egyptians, uh, just like, well, maybe they were just the best actors. Right. <laughs> and and then you go and then when something like this happens where you have black actors or um, or, you know, not again, non-white people, basically uh in getting cast in these roles then it's suddenly like well this is just woke politics it's like but no maybe they're just the best the best role like maybe they're this is the best person for the part um i i do think it's interesting specifically because people talk about like oh we're you know we're mad they're mad about black hobbits i do want to think about how much of this is actually addressed to specifically the character of um aaron deer yeah in uh, who's an elf right and of course elves are typically and and in this this show for the most part are represented as very white um uh you know the the pale pale skin blonde hair etc and that's the way that elves have historically been depicted uh really for like ages so it's interesting then to actually have an elf character who is black um but some of you know this is one of those things that that I feel like they never completely the the racists, right? Never completely say what they actually mean. They're just like, well, I'm not really mad about black hobbits. Just like, no, I think you might be mad about black elves. Mm -hmm. Because I I feel like, and I don't necessarily have any proof for that, but elves have been so symbolic, particularly Tolkien's elves have been so symbolic of white dominance. Yeah. Right. And not, I, you know, I don't want to say white power not in like the capitalized sense but like the 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 power of whiteness right they've um, also the, been depicted as like or described not necessarily by him but like the understanding is that they are also the most beautiful mm -hmm. and all that and so for racists who don't recognize the beauty of other races <laughs> that's all yeah no exactly so, so to suddenly say well this this black man is part of that is 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 beautiful is considered beautiful you know all of those things um yeah I, I think that that's an element that doesn't hasn't really it's because I think they haven't explicitly stated it it hasn't really been addressed that much but I do think that, that at least some of the anger is specifically about the existence of black elves or 
um, or black men of the West, as it were. It's a, um, I can't remember the actress's name, but the, the, uh, basically the, the princess of Numenor is a black woman. It's an interesting argument. Again, I'm going to link, um, I'm going to link the two articles, which, which makes some really good points, both about seeing yourself on the screen and, um, and the rights of other people who are not white men, right, to actually see themselves represented in worlds that they care about. So being a Lord of the Rings fan and being a Black person at the same time mm-hmm. um, and how the, that is important, too. And I, I do think at the end of the day, a lot of this is about loss of power and yeah. particularly white men losing control of the narrative, feeling like they're losing control of the narrative and feeling like they are no longer. Again, we've talked about this a lot. No longer the default. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Your perspective is not is not only not the only perspective, it is not the dominant perspective. Um, it doesn't belong to you. Middle Earth doesn't belong to you. Uh, Westeros doesn't belong to you. I Star Wars to- doesn't belong to you. Right, yeah. I come back a lot to um, Kumail Nanjiani when he gave his acceptance speech. I think it was at the Golden Globes um, when he won for writing The Big Sick. And he was talking about, in that speech, um, he was talking about how you know he grew up in a world where he had to identify with care like all the characters that he grew up loving because he was a kid of the 80s too um were characters that did not look like him and basically like now white men have to learn how to relate to characters that don't look like them and it's so true and i think that that's something that they're all really not all um but so many of them are struggling with and don't like is and it's it's ironic that they don't understand that what they're feeling is a lack of representation on screen which is something that we've <laughs> all been feeling for 95 years you know yeah yeah no it's and and i i do think in some ways i feel sorry for some of these guys because <laughs> um because they, they they haven't been forced to have empathy right. to you know look at someone who doesn't look like them Mm-hmm. who isn't representative of them and to identify with that person. Right. And and it, that is a lack of empathy. That's a lack of education in empathy. You know, that's something, like you say, that that's something that everybody else um, has had to deal with. And, you know, and, and we've talked a lot about, you know, the various films where people react to this. I've talked about, um, you know, some of, some of the white guys who were really upset that Cass- Cassandra Kane in... Um, uh, birds of prey wasn't representative of them it's just like oh i'm sorry a little asian girl isn't representative of you a grown-ass white man <laughs> right mm-hmm. you know yeah. all, all of that stuff is like well wh- why don't i get representation it's like you do constantly you just cannot find a way to identify with people that aren't you that don't look like you that don't sound like you that don't have the same experiences that you do the rest of us can do that and by the way because I saw some comments from women who were very upset because Ariel was finally, they're redheaded and Ariel was finally like, they got to see themselves on screen represented through this red, fiery redheaded character. And so often the characters on screen are, you know, women that aren't redheads that they're like, if there's a redhead in them thing, then it's, you know, it's always not natural hair color. Okay, guess what, guys, ladies? Uh, the original Little Mermaid from 1989 still exists. That cartoon doesn't cease to exist just because Halle Bailey gets to play her in a live-action version. So you can still be represented in a movie. It doesn't take anything away from you. So calm down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there there was a wonderful compilation of TikTok videos of um, little oh, black yes. girls. seeing the trailer for the little mermaid um for the first time and it like it's one of those you're just like how dare like how dare anyone object to this basically because anybody who can watch that compilation and feel nothing or feel angry they really need to go get help because there's something wrong yeah because it's these little girls who are like like and some of it is just shock they're like she's she's black (laughs) like like and and you're just like 
oh my god this like this really means something to these kids and these kids are not sitting around going like oh this is woke politics or anything like that it's okay. just like look someone who looks like me exactly. in is my favorite character mm-hmm. right and that's really really meaningful like you said that doesn't take away from the uh the 19 whatever the 1989 film at all like the 1989 film is still there so little redheaded girls can go and look at that and be like oh she looks like me exactly um we did so actually we had a question um from noah about why do men care about historical accuracy and fantasy stories i hope that we've answered that question uh noah but i i think that it does stretch beyond men necessarily as as um you know you're pointing out i think that there's a fear of a, of a lot of this uh, mm-hmm. and and an unwillingness to recognize the humanity of other people and and also to recognize ourselves in people that don't look like us. Yeah. Um, so the the other question that we have is from Connor, uh, who says, "Awesome article, Karen, about the opening titles." So Karen wrote a really good and and fun article about the opening titles of Rings of Power, um, which we will also link in the show notes if you haven't gotten to read it. It is excellent. Good job, Karen. It was a lot of fun. Like, I mean, I interviewed the two the two directors slash creators of the main title credits, and uh, it was a forty five minute conversation, and I had to distill that down to like something that could you know uh, really capture the essence without going to. Oh man, it was hard, but it's this is fascinating. And on that article too, at the top of it, there's a link to or not a link. There's embedded a video that's the making of the uh, main titles for rings of power even if you haven't watched the show like it's totally separate from the show you don't need to know anything about it to appreciate the the cool science and art that combine in creating this Mm -hmm. it's awesome i encourage everybody even if you don't read the article i won't be offended but watch that video because it's very very cool it's it's well it's a good article it's like a good thank you like um kind of showing how much goes into producing those kinds of credits yeah uh and and the other question that connor had and i think that we should you know talk about this as well um are both of you enjoying this so the show so far i've uh really i've been really digging it so what do what are your thoughts on the show karen just leaving aside the the issues that we've been discussing here yeah. what like do you are you into it do you like it do you not like it what are your feelings about it so far i really like it but i'm also very confused i feel like every episode i need a cliff's note or i guess they don't call it that anymore what is it sparks note um uh, to like explain to me i have to watch it with subtitles so i can kind of keep track of the characters because there's just so much happening and i don't know if this is a problem of my attention span or if this is like they're trying to do too much too soon i'm not sure um but overall, I like it. I think it's beautiful. And I really enjoy some of the characters. I think Galadriel is fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, just kind of in a nutshell, I really like it. I, I think that there are some things that it's a little, I mean, it's only been four episodes or maybe five now. Um, so it's a little too soon to tell if this is a problem of the show or just we need to wait and see how things play out. But overall yeah i I think it's good yeah i think it takes a little while to get into because you're introduced to all of these different characters and different plot lines yeah real like pretty much immediately like you get everybody right Mm -hmm. in within the first episode and that can that's a little tough because also there's there's a lot of world building going on a lot of like you know how do we understand what is actually happening um and so there and there are a bunch of mysterious things that aren't being revealed uh introductions of characters they're like wait is he going to be that guy or uh so there's a lot of different things going on and particularly for anyone i am not um up on my middle earth lore i've i read the hobbit and i read the the three lord of the rings books that is the extent of my knowledge Mm -hmm. of middle earth so the past and like all of the various um wars and characters etc i'm just like okay i i don't like i i honestly cannot recall to mind exactly what the meaning of some of these places are like um when they introduced numenor i was just like i recognize that name but i have no idea what its significance is yeah uh you know the there's there's a an introduction of mithril and i vaguely remember that the importance of that i'm just like ooh, i think i know where this is going <laughs> um yeah it's gorgeous like it really is uh 
probably one of the most beautiful TV shows I have seen in a long time in terms of the the way that they construct the world. And some of that is definitely they they do a really good job with CGI, but also with just practical effects um, and, you know, set design and character design. You've got got a lot of that. And I think it's it's building off of a lot of what Peter Jackson did in his original films. Um, yeah, I don't like Galadriel. And I think that this might be one of the problems that I'm having with the show is that I feel very little for the individual characters. Um, Galadriel is driving me crazy. Like, I want her to stop just like, oh, you're not going to let me do this. Well, I'm an elf and I say you have to. (laughs) Um, And and I know that part of that is also character development and like the the concerns that she has and the loss of her brother and all that stuff. But at the same time, just like, God, the elves are boring. God, the elves are annoying. Like, no wonder everybody hates you because you like come in and you're just like, ah, oh, we have like gifted you this world. It's just like, we fucking here before you, bitch. Like, what is even happening? Uh, yeah, I've never liked the elves in Middle Earth generally. And every time they show to like uh, Galadriel in particular, and I love Kate Blanchett in, in the films, but at the same time, I'm like, Galadriel, like, stop just making random pronouncements about things that you are barely involved in. Uh, at the end of uh, Return of the King, you know, she's just like, the War of the Rings is over. It's just like, yeah, no shit. A lot of help you were. <laughs> Look at all that you did. Oh, you gave people <laughs> gifts. Those gifts Good for helpful. you. <laughs> but she's so still is- going to go join that fight. She's already, and this is the point. She's already done all the fighting. I, <laughs> I was not... Um, sad to see her get taken down a peg in last week's episode when they show up in Numenor and things don't just go the way she wants them to yeah and and I said like I said I think that some of this is is about character development and is about like showing how she changes and you know maybe being a little bit more diplomatic Mm -hmm. etc and so so like I I appreciate that but she's just annoying the shit out of me Um, yeah, my biggest problem, I think, with the show is that I'm finding it entertaining, but I don't feel deeply invested in it. Um, I, yeah, I definitely feel that, too. Like, I, beautiful. I'm, I love watching it, but I don't think about it all week. Yeah, it, it just, it hasn't reached a point where it's really latched me in, I guess. Um, and I'm still watching it, so, I mean, may, you know, maybe it has. Uh, it, they're definitely getting my viewer numbers um but there, there's just something missing to really like hook me into the show and make me like really care about it uh and I, I honestly do not know exactly what that is it might simply be that like it's just not not hooking me in in the way that I need it to uh you know everything art is subjective uh but it I do think that it's worth be... watching okay yeah well it could also be like um the show Severance. I don't know if you've if you've watched that one on Apple no, TV. I haven't yet. But um, that was one where I was like, I was appreciating it, but I really wasn't into it. And then all of a sudden, in the finale of the first season, all of a sudden something happens where I was like, okay, now I am on board. I understand this show. I understand what you've been building toward all along. And I kind of wonder if that's what's going to happen with this season of Rings of Power, where it's like there's so much setup so much introduction and getting people into the right places that they need to be in and and watching that happen is really you know it's really beautiful it's really you know entertaining while i'm watching it like i said i don't really think about it throughout the week but i'm 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 hopeful that there's going to come a point this season before the end where i just like really connect and go okay now I fully understand what they're mm-hmm. doing with this and I see the direction that this series is going to go. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, it might be some of so much of it, it has to set up kind of the relationships and the world. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of, uh, you know, maybe they're just, they're, yeah, exactly. Maybe it's going to pay off at some level. I, I honestly, I think that one of the problems, even just listening to you, to you talk, I was like, you know, this might be my issue. I don't feel that Sauron is that big of a threat. Like Definitely the show, not yet. Yeah, the show isn't making me feel like there is this massive overhanging danger that people aren't paying attention to, and even in the midst of like these orcs and um, you know, all all of these battles going on and everything, there's still the sense of like, but I don't feel the threat of this 
of this, you know, villain who is going to show up or is controlling things that happen. You know, I'm not sensing it quite yet. And and that might that might be at that overarching stake, as I like to say to some of my um the authors that I, that I talk to, like, what's at stake here, really? And yeah. and I'm just not feeling it in the same way. So we've got the little miniature stakes for each of the characters and each of the plot lines, but that big danger just isn't present in, in a way that it needs to be. It's going to ultimately tie them all together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, I agree with you on that for sure. So those are our thoughts on Ring of, Rings of Power. Um, what else have you been watching this week, Karen, to, to close this all out on this? Well, I went and saw Pearl earlier this week, which is the prequel to a movie that came out a few months ago. <laughs> so um, they basically filmed these two movies back to back. Um, the, the, the other movie was called X. So Mia Goth is in both of them. Pearl takes place like 60 years before X does. And um, I don't want to get too much into it. If anybody has not seen X yet and you're really into just like fun horror movies, I do think you should watch it Um, and then watch Pearl. Watch them in that order. You don't have to have watched X to understand and appreciate Pearl. But if you watch Pearl first, it's going to totally spoil X. So, um, uh, yeah. Anyway, but it's a lot of fun. Mia Goth really is is um she has just become such a, a surprising and astounding actress in the last couple of years and like there's a scene in pearl where she has a six minute monologue that is all done in one take and you kind of don't even realize that that's happening until about halfway through where you realize wait the camera has not cut away from her and it's it's so spellbinding it's it's really really incredible so that's a lot of fun very fun movie it's like this it's like this slasher movie sort of thriller thing that's also just in technicolor so it's so the visuals that you see are so contradictory to the story and it really works well it's a lot of fun Um, yeah so what's that oh sorry I still have not seen X. I was actually, oh. as as you were talking, I was just Googling and I was like, oh, we can, I can rent it for five bucks. So I'm going to do yes. that. <laughs> I highly recommend it. I think you, that's another one where I would really like to know your thoughts. I think, you, <laughs> I think you'll dig it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I also saw a movie called Triangle of Sadness, which premiered at Cannes earlier this year. It's Ruben Ostland is the director he did the square a couple of years ago, um, which was about like basically the art, the art world. But Triangle of Sadness, uh, this is a movie that's a little hard to characterize. It's sort of, um, it's uh, sort of a critique of like the fashion industry and uh, very extremely uber rich people and uh, also influencers, but uh, it's it very much becomes sort of an eat the rich type of, of story, and it's very long. It's interesting because a lot of people have complained that the third act is where it starts to feel bloated and it kind of overstays its welcome. I disagree. I think that the third act is really really well done and 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 plays out very well i think the problem is it's taken so long to get there that by the time you actually get to ultimately what is the point it's a little bit of like okay well i'm tired now this has been going for two and a half hours so i think the problem is that the first two acts are a little bit too bloated if they had trimmed that a little bit then the third act would just feel so perfect but i don't want to say too much about it um, it's definitely one that's going to have a very specific audience. I think this is not, this is a movie that rewards patience <laughs> and hmm. not a lot of people have that. <laughs> so, True. Yeah. True. So, I understand um, that. Yeah. But I, I really liked it. I dug it. So cool. yeah. how about um, you? Well, I, I watched uh, in terms of newer films, I finally got to see official competition. Uh nice with Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas, and um, Oscar Oscar Martinez. 
And I have to say, like, I I went into this film expecting one thing and it turned out to be something very different, but I liked that it was different um, than what I thought. I haven't seen it yet. It's 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 now on AMC Plus. Oh, okay. um, if if you have that, it's also you can also rent it on on all of the different platforms. It's I honestly think that it's it's really worth it. It came out um, and originally I actually thought that it was an Almodovar film. Uh, and part of that, I think, is just because it's Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas. <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it definitely has like some I guess I would classify it as very dry Spanish humor, I think, is 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 the category for this. It's quite funny, but it's also very weird and dark and uh, kind of nasty in places and very much about skewering the pretensions of um, of filmmaking and of acting. And uh, I, I really dug it. It's basically about a, a millionaire who decides that he wants to leave a legacy and he bank he decides to bankroll a film um, that he thinks is going to be like the greatest film ever made. And it is to be directed by uh, Penelope Cruz, um, who plays a uh, Palme d'Or winning director. And to star, basically, these these two actors, one of whom played by Antonio Banderas is like the big star and the other one who's like a serious stage actor. And her idea is to bring the two of them together and like really develop that personality clash, et cetera. Basically, what transpires is that these three people drive each other insane. Um, and it's very clever. It's funny. Uh, it's It's got a lot of darkness to it, a lot of kind of very biting humor. Um, and uh, I don't want to go into too many details about it, but the the way that the most of the film takes up uh, with the, is taken up with the rehearsals for production and all of the bizarre ways in which this director tries to get her actors to kind of work with each other and understand each other. And some of it is very funny and some of it is very mean. Um, I really recommend it. I enjoyed it. Antonio Banderas is fantastic. Penelope Cruz is fantastic. I had never seen Oscar Martinez in anything, but he is great as well. Uh, and just the three of them really anchor the film. It's pretty much the three of them on screen for most of the time. And they're just great together and um, managed to make you enjoy watching some really unlikable characters. Awesome. Um, so yes, I recommend that. That's on, uh, let's say, on, on uh, AMC Plus and is also available to be rented if you don't have AMC Plus. Cool. So anything else before we close it out? Um, I think that's about it. I don't know. I just been kind of a weekend of like well weekend it's saturday but um i don't know so far i've just been like i just want to watch stuff that is familiar kind of more of what we were talking about last week with comfort movies and stuff yeah. so like last night i watched the money pit again because <laughs> i love 80s tom hanks movies and just felt in the mood so yeah well i fell into watching the conjuring films Yay. um i've just I've just been like watching them in in succession. Just like I don't know why I'm that like you know we were talking last week. Like I fi I'm finding these very comforting. <laughs> uh, so all right, so I think that that will close us out for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we want to thank our lovely patrons, who include um, Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata. Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Pow, and Will. Thank you so much for continuing to support us, guys. Uh, we are going to have a bonus episode coming up very shortly on The Faculty, which Yay. I just recently rewatched, and I have I have thoughts about it. <laughs> um, so, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, of course, if you are not a patron, you will get to listen to the first 20 minutes of our Faculty episode. But in order to listen to the whole thing, you have to become a patron. And our Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash citizen dame. And this will also help us to just keep the lights on, keep us going to film festivals, keep our website up, et cetera. Um, if you want to give us just a couple of dollars, but don't feel like making the commitment right now, we do have a ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. And of course we have our Zazzle, to Zazzle store, 
zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. You can uh, get in touch with us and read our stuff in, in many different ways. We have our website, citizendamepod.com, where we've got Karen's review of Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, and going to have some various festival reviews and stuff like that coming up really shortly. You can also get in touch with us uh, via email. We are at citizendamepod at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod and on Letterboxd, where you can find our many, many lists, uh, including some of the films that we talk about on the podcast. Uh, we are on Letterboxd at Citizen Dame. Of course, you can get in touch with us individually. Karen, where are you? I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. So thank you so much for listening. We will talk to y'all later. Bye. There was a time when the world was so young. There had not yet been a sunrise. But even then, there was light. Call to me, call to me, lands for Elves have forests to protect. Dwarfs their mines. Mend their fields of grain. But we Harfoots have each other. For I must now wander this wandering day. We're safe. <laughs>